Joan Esposito. Live. Celebrating our power to bring about change. Local. Everybody has to work together. And progressive. I think you get the idea. On WCPT 820. It is that time of month when I invite former Channel 9 News Director Jennifer Schulze and current contributor to the Courier Newsroom um, Substack page, uh, newsletter. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm doing such a great job of this. This is why sometimes it's better to script things. Mark Jacob is a former editor at the Sun-Times and the Tribune, and he has a new newsletter, and we talked about it last time we were on. But, Mark, because I have made such an incredible mess of this, would you please tell people where they can find it again? Sure. It's called it's called Stop the Presses, and it's uh, you can go to Stop the Presses, one word, dot news n-e-w-s and you'll find it and you can read it and you can subscribe for free and what are the kinds of things that you write about well it's about it's really i mean it's described as um an examination of how right-wing extremism is exploiting the weaknesses in american journalism so it's it's the intersection of politics and media um speaking of of that sort of thing um i want to talk to the both of you about uh, the word vermin. Trump recently, somebody did a social media post, and sadly, I don't know if either of you saw it and saved it, but uh, I didn't, where they uh, took phrases that Trump has been using recently, and they compared them with phrases that had come from Adolf Hitler, and they were shockingly similar, particularly the use of the word vermin. And I thought it was interesting when I saw the Washington Post and they reported on it, they talked about the fact, I think it was even in the headline uh, of, that Trump was using this term. But the New York Times, uh, if I recall correctly, had a more sanitized version of the story. Did, <laughs> You're being go generous. Ahead. That's a nice way of putting <laughs> go it. Ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Jennifer. <laughs> Sanitized, I would say it was inaccurate, misleading, and cowardly, the original headline that they used. Um, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was. Well, that was my other, yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, here's what it was Trump takes Veterans Day speech in a very different direction. Oh. That was the headline. After the contender for the presidency of the United States um, uses Hitler-style language, uh, that's what the New York Times wrote. Within about 12 hours, they changed it, but they still didn't put vermin in the headline. In fact, I was distressed, like many of us. Jennifer? Andy, I lost her. Can you? Yeah. Well, let me, can I just pick up then while we're waiting for you to get back? The, the, uh, it, it, you know, this, this headline says Trump takes Veterans Day speech in a very different direction. I, I kind of, I, I wrote something on Twitter about this uh, where, where I, I said that there, in history you could have a lot of headlines like that, like John Wilkes Booth uh, takes visit to the theater in a very different direction. <laughs> oh. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, that there are ways to, I mean, because it's just such a vague headline that just sands off the point of what, uh, of what happened. And it's shocking. And they changed it to, in Veterans Day speech, Trump promises to root out the left. But that that hardly gets the impact. Jeez, of the Louise, word that's still pretty tepid. 
Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, that's and and it took it took like twelve hours of people slamming them, you know, on social media for them to do that. And then you know, and then the Washington Post, which frankly was slow to get on the story in the first place, came up with a much better headline, you know, in which they they said that it was reminiscent of the rhetoric of dictators like Hitler and Mussolini. Their headline was. Trump calls political enemies vermin, echoing dictators Hitler and Mussolini. Which is that that's that nails it. That's what that's what you want to say because that's what happened. And that's and, and, the and truth. You know, yes, and it's and it, and it puts it in historical context. I mean, this is not like this is not a cheap shot. This is Trump is using this language like. For example, he you know he also used the phrase "poisoning the blood" of you know of, mm-hmm. of you know our citizenry you know so so you know so so suddenly you know immigrants or leftists or whatever group he wants to you know attack next is you know poisoning the blood of Americans and this vermin is uh, you know or invaders all these terms that are that are really just the kind of terms that fascists love to use to demonize a small portion of the population and rev up the haters. Jennifer, you we started this discussion with you, and as Mark just pointed out, after uh, being taken to task on social media, the New York Times changed it, its headline, still um, not anything that anybody would call blunt. Uh, it was still very, very careful. And this is not the first time the New York Times has been taken to task and they have changed something. Why are they not learning this lesson? Why does social media have to keep after them time and time again and say to them, are you serious? Is this is, you know, it it clearly seems to me that it's happening so much that this must be some sort of mandate from on high. What are your thoughts? My guess is that uh, there's a newsroom culture of extreme caution. And I don't know that it's a written policy or people talk about it in editorial meetings. But my guess would be that there's just a general feeling um, that extends, you know, for people working on the weekend when certainly there are less managers around to run things by. Um, and just throughout the entire New York times culture, because you're right, it happens with some frequency. I think their, their go-to position, uh, especially on news of the day type stories, not necessarily, it seems like they're a little more aggressive on a, a long form piece that they've been working on a while but like a daily a story that's happened that day. Uh, uh, they seem to be overly cautious to the point of being inaccurate and, and in this case, misleading. And I do not understand it at all because it is not good journalism to not be accurate. Um, and I don't know if Mark had a chance to mention the, the headline this week also about abortion, but that was just completely inaccurate. It wasn't well, just cowardly was or cautious. Can, 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 can either of you share it with us? Yeah, the, the, the New York Times wrote a story um, this week. Well, let's see, it's only Wednesday, so it was, uh, you know, it was yesterday or the day before. And, um, and they, they, 
they said something to the effect of here, let me find it. Um, I will say that the Biden uh, campaign has grabbed onto it. And here it is. Why Trump seems less vulnerable on abortion than other Republicans. He appointed judges who overturned Roe, but his vague statements on the issue may gave him some leeway with voters. Now, let's just remember that Trump called for jailing doctors and women who had abortions when he was running for Mm -hmm. office. And he is currently running radio ads in Florida, taking credit for doing away with Roe versus Wade. How does that jive with this headline, vulnerable on, on abortion and his vague statements? I'm sorry, vague? What does vague mean to the people at the New York Times? I do not know. There is nothing vague about what Donald Trump is saying today and frankly has been saying for years now about reproductive rights. And, so and that, the idea that, that was, it, yeah, go ahead, Mark. No, the idea that that Trump is going to fool anyone is also stupid. I mean, it's a, he's fooled the, some reporter at the New York Times, but he's not going to fool the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks that Trump is is you know is is a reasonable person as far as abortion rights. If you're in favor of abortion rights, and you know about two thirds of the population is. You're, you know that Trump is your enemy on that issue. I mean, and the, you know, look at Ohio, a red state, and look what the vote there was. So it, it just, to me, it's just, it's the New York Times being so out of tune with what's going on. Well, you know, when they, when they say, well, you know, Trump's going to, you know, he's not going to be hurt on the abortion issue. You've got to be kidding me. I and mean, they've got to be scared, you know, scared to death about it, because that's an issue that has a great power and is probably the Democrats' best issue next year. Now, in the past... We've speculated, at least when we first were commenting on this kind of thing, that maybe the New York Times was being very um, cowardly and very restrained because they didn't want to lose access. But they're the freaking New York Times. Who's not going to talk to the New York Times? I'm wondering if it's something more insidious. I mean, you guys both know, having worked in media, that it isn't just a public service. It's a business. What if the New York Times has actually done surveys of the people who actually pony up money for the print and digital editions and found that those people are um, for the the majority of those people are far right is and they're playing to the crowd. I mean, I can remember back when I was doing the four o'clock news, which was considered, you know, like before anybody comes home from work. So it was sort of. um for the people who were home with their families, the mom and the kids. And, you know, I'd worked for bosses who would try to, okay, well, the audience is moms home with their kids. They would like stories about um, how to do homework better or something like that. Is this a business decision, guys? Jennifer, what do you think? I think it's both. I think it's a business decision and um, I think it's also how the editor, the new editor, newish editor of the New York Times and the editor before him um, feel about things. They basically have said we're, well, they have said they're going to try to go down the middle, more or less, and not take sides. 
Um, no one has ever asked. I'm not asking them to take sides. And I'm not quite sure that I think, Joan, that your hypothesis could be correct in that they're catering to um, a large right-wing audience because I would find that hard to imagine that that is their core audience, um, ponying up 28 bucks a month or whatever it is for online access to the New York Times. And because the New York Times has been so demonized by the right, I think that, that that's not their audience. And I, so I don't think that's why they're doing it. I think that they are doing it because they're cowards. Yeah, I think so, too. I think, you know, look at the New York Times stories. This is what's interesting is because the New York Times in the last week or two has written very hard-hitting stories about how Trump and his allies are planning, you know, detention camps for millions of immigrants and, and going to send them out of the country and, 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 and just all this just scary stuff, how they're going to subvert the Justice Department and, you know, have an, you know, an army of Trump, you know, loyalists. And, and so they're writing really hard stories and then they're putting super soft headlines on them. And, it, and I, I think that's a culture problem. I think, that, I think it's both cowardly and it's a culture problem where nobody wants to stick their neck out and they know that headlines matter more than stories because people read headlines and much more than stories. And which to me means you ought to put your best people on the headlines, but they're not doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and tell me in a situation like that, <laughs> yeah, tell me in a situation like that, do you think behind the scenes that the reporters who are writing those stories are screaming loud and long about those headlines? Do you think those discussions are taking place? Or is it, and man, I've got this cush job. I work at, you know, supposedly the best paper in the country. I'm sure not going to rock the boat. Because I can imagine. I think, I think it's all of it. I think it depends. That depends who you are in the food chain and, you know, how vulnerable you think your position is. And, you know, you might work at the biggest newspaper in the country, but you look around every day and see how other media outlets are doing, you know, shedding jobs. And so I don't think any journalist in America feels secure. Um, so that could certainly be part of it. Um, who knows? But, but I think it starts at the top. And either you decide you're going to be brave. I can't imagine. I can't believe I'm saying this. It, be brave to tell the truth. And well, that's, I can't imagine that you're saying that either, because, I mean, let's look back. I mean, it was a newspaper in Boston that started, was one of the first, if not the first, to shine the light on the sex scandal in the Catholic Church. I mean, right. I, you know, decades and decades ago, when Dick Kay worked at Channel 5, Dick Kay did a story on cops that worked overnight and would park their car somewhere and sleep part of the night away. I mean, taking taking bold positions to bring things to light that need to be brought to light, even if there is there is fallout that you have to live with. Uh, that's what that's what news media is supposed to be all about. Well, when right. did the did, New York Times lose this? Did it never have it, and I just didn't notice? Did we? Did any of us get in the news business in order to not make anyone mad? I mean, that's a, I used to tell my reporters. I used to say, I used to say, you know, if you're not making anyone mad, you're not having an impact. You know, and right. uh, and so you're going to. You know, you're going to. You got to just build that in. You know, you have to understand that. But but the New York Times seems to want to make no one mad with its headlines. 
Oh, I don't know if I agree with you, Mark. I think that they, I think that they relish making some people on the left very mad with their headlines and their opinion section. (laughs) Oh yeah, I think that they're. I think they love that. But in the news department, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a question of of um, we're going to leave all of the stuff to the opinion pages. And speaking of which, this is a whole nother discussion about the opinion pages. I think it's great to have different opinions on things, but I still think that those opinion writers should be people who are respectable. Hugh Hewitt, I'm looking at you, um, a, a loathsome human being who, you know, I don't care. I don't care if you're trying to have fair and balanced. You can find someone else to give a conservative viewpoint who isn't a reprehensible human being. I don't know. At least I think you can. Do you guys agree? Well, I would say that now we're talking about the Washington Post because Hugh Hewitt writes opinion pieces for the Washington Post. And uh, the Post has a couple of people like Hugh Hewitt. He's not the only one. They have, you know, Mark Thiessen, who is, uh, is might, might be more of a flamethrower than Hugh Hewitt. Um, and, oh, and Kathleen Parker. Remember the one who says, who said after Trump got elected, said, well, there's really going to be no difference between, you know, Trump and, and, and uh, Hillary Clinton, you know. And really, stop like whining. It will be fine. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It will be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's less of a flamethrower. I think she's just, you know, a little obtuse. But, um, yeah, the, the opinion sections, um, I, I don't know. I think sometimes that goes back to, you know, who's going to the cocktail party. And, you know, these are my friends and I'm going to give them a column. And, and you know, we got to do both sides. And, uh, right. you know, uh, <laughs> Do you see any indication that the New York Times is going to change its ways anytime soon? And in the interest of full disclosure, I used to be a digital subscriber and I quit. Oh, my God. I think over a year ago because um, I wanted to beat my head against the wall every time I looked at the New York Times and I decided that it was not good for my mental health. Well, I, mean, I think still, what we know. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think it it's is. still a great newspaper. A friend of mine said, "said How can a newspaper that's so good be so bad?" Is, is kind of <laughs> a friend. And, and uh, give me, give you one example here, real quickly. They they had a story a while back that was a terrific story about how Republicans in Congress were blocking a longtime program that had started under George W. Bush to fight AIDS overseas. They didn't like it, you know, and they, they were, the Republicans were blocking renewal of this important program that had saved millions of lives overseas. So the, the, and it, it was the Republicans totally doing it. New York Times writes a real hard-hitting story. The headline for that story was, Partisan Politics Puts a Huge Win for Public Health at Risk. So it, was, it, was, it wasn't the Republicans' fault. It was politics' fault. Mm-hmm. It was, and so, so, so they totally sanded off the point. They totally vagued it up to where nobody would, you know, would know who the villain was. It's just, it's just cowardly headline writing is what that is. Guys, we have a caller who wants to join our conversation. Jim is on the line. Hey, Jim, you're on with me and Jennifer and Mark. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I, 50 years ago, I didn't recall Nixon's voters being coddled like Trump's voters are being coddled. They're coddled in the media like they uh, are a special group of sacrosanct people that have a deliberate message. And, and, and 50 years ago, Trump's, I mean, Nixon's voters were, weren't uh, referred to as Nixon's voters. He was just, he was uh, against the free and fair election by breaking into the headquarters. Uh, Trump, in the same regard, is even worse, but his voters are coddled as if they uh, have some special message to give or some uh, direction that they want to take the country in. And I think to uh, how that could happen in 50 years is a mystery to me, but uh, it's being done. Now, you turn on any, any uh, channel and uh, they treat his voters as if they had some kind of special uh, enlightenment about them. It's just very strange how uh, 50 years can pass by and you end up with this dilemma we're in. Anyway, guys, thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Um, well, I don't know. We're all pretty young. We probably don't remember the coverage of Nixon all that well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I do a little bit. Um, do you think there are corollaries? Do you think there were cowardly media outlets of prominence? always with us and we're just noticing it more now because there's so much contrast in between the good folks and the bad folks mark yeah. start with you well yeah i think um i think that that the nixon got the benefit of the doubt for a long time from the media overall because i think the people couldn't conceive of the fact that there would be a criminal operation and working out of the white house to sabotage the opponents and to spy on people and just did a, an entire dirty tricks operation operating out of the white house, which is what it was. Um, so I think you can give the news media some, some excuse that they couldn't imagine that it was as bad as it turned out to be, but that, but nobody's got that excuse today. I mean, you know, in fact, the thing about it that, that, that drives me nuts is that this is not like one of those things where the New York times or the Washington post have got it right about, well, we think uh, people are telling us that uh, Trump is planning to create giant camps in Texas to house millions of immigrants and, and to deport them all and stuff like that. They're saying it. They're telling, they're telling reporters from the New York Times that they're going to do this. They think it's in their interest. They think they're going to rev up their base by doing it. So this is all, this is all out there. That's the thing. It's not, it's not like Trump is hiding what he wants to do. He's telling us that he wants to prosecute his political enemies if he gets elected again. He's not saying that he wants to wants to prosecute him for committing crimes. He's saying he wants to prosecute him because there is political in it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. He's saying he's, it out loud. Yep. He's, he's saying it out loud. Um, the people who are helping him do it are saying it out loud. They're open to it. It's not like it's some big investigative thing or it's a secret. It is right out there in the open. And it's interesting how the media doesn't, Generally, I would say there has been some bright lights, but generally doesn't quite know how to process all of this. Either it's like a fire hose of all this terrible stuff and they just it's too much. How do I break it down? Where do I focus, especially if I'm like broadcast or news? And and they don't seem to be able to get their arms around it to be able to report it in a meaningful and ongoing way. Because it isn't a one-day story. 
it's an everything story that should that should influence all of your coverage of this presidential campaign. I mean, this is the foundation of Trump and who he is, and we should be talking about it in some form all the time um, as we're covering him. But the media seems to be almost, I don't know, overwhelmed by it, and it's not a secret. Yeah, he's proud of it. <laughs> I think the news media liked it the old way, where they thought the Republicans and Democrats were equally equally bad, equally corrupt, and they could just do a he said, she said on every story. Well, here's what the Democrats say. Here's what the Republicans mm-hmm. say. We're not, we're not, we're not going to worry about figuring out who's telling the truth and who's lying. We're just going to lay them both out there, and then we've done our job and we can go home. That, I think the news media, a lot of people in the news media like it that way. And, and, and therefore, they're, they're pretending that we're still in those times, even though... One party, the Democratic Party, is pretty much the way it's been in you know in the last three or four or five decades. I mean, it's for the good and bad. And the Republican Party has taken a sharp turn toward fascism and toward authoritarianism, toward toward getting rid of the Constitution, toward you know toward very scary stuff. And the news media is still in this. Well, he said, she said. Uh, here's what they said. Here's what they said. We're done. And it, 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 I it, think it, you're it's right. It's a giant failure. It's a giant failure by the news media. I think you're right. I mean, it's. I think media, and we've talked about this before, and I think we all agree, media is not ready for this moment and hasn't been. Yeah, um, I was going to say, this the, moment's been going on for quite a right. while. I mean, oh, hang on a second, Jennifer. Years. I just realized that uh, um, uh, we've got to take a break. Hold that thought. Uh, Also, I've got a caller who had a bad connection but wants to ask a question, which I will ask when Mark Jacob and uh, Jennifer Schulze and I come right back after this. Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We are doing our monthly media segment with uh, former Sun-Times and Trib editor Mark Jacob, currently working with the Courier Newsroom Group, and Jennifer Schulze, former news director at uh, Channel 9 TV. Mark, Jennifer, and I recently uh, went to a presentation by somebody who is involved in the journalism community and shared their look at the data of who's paying attention and who's paying attention to what. And it ties in with Andy got a caller, guys, but the connection was terrible. So Andy sent me a text with what they wanted to say, and they wanted to make a point about the negative effects of paywalls. For example, if you see a misleading headline, but the story itself is behind a paywall, You can't ever learn the truth of the matter or the other side of it. You only get the headline and the presentation the three of us were at. There's an awful lot of people out there who won't pay for for pretty much anything uh, on the Internet. They are used to free content. And if you're going to put your message behind a paywall, well, they'll just get their information somewhere else. It it really brings the problem of bad headlines into an even greater spotlight if for a lot of people the headline is all they ever get to see. 
Um, Jennifer, why don't you start and talk about the what you think about paywalls and if they make sense? Well, I mean, media has to, you know, find a way to pay its bills. But as we've talked about on the show before, uh, uh, decisions were made back at the dawn of the Internet that were not very smart. And uh, news media just gave away its content for free, uh, creating an expectation that news media content should be free. And, um, and people feel that way. So subscriptions, I think, as we heard at that um, presentation, the Chicago Tribune used to have, you know, a million subscribers for its Sunday paper. It's down to 100,000 now. Um, you know, people just don't want to do that anymore and are not doing it. And um, then the argument about the paywall, re-democracy, Trump and all of that, um, you know, this person we saw speak said democracy dies behind a paywall. <laughs> it's a conundrum for media that, again, needs to pay its bills. But I do think when, for example, the New York Times ran this huge story this weekend about Trump's plans for concentration camp like concentration like camps and mass roundups of immigrants and deportations and all of that. That should have been a free link. Anybody wanted to read it and they should have blasted it out there for the whole world to read because it, it matters to democracy. They didn't do that. They don't do that. Uh, you'll, you'll see if you're on social media and not that many people actually are, but if you are, sometimes you'll see a reporter or someone else uh, say, here's a gift link and you can read a story you might not otherwise have, but paywalls do get in the way. But then here's the thing. If you don't aren't charging subscribers, how are you paying? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is there any ad business anymore? Is that is not that really? Why? No, no. So it's 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 subscribers are the the main thing, and then for the nonprofit news organizations, it's um, philanthropy, and neither of those are working very well right now. So we need to come up with something else. Because we well, need media, and we need it to be available. But here's, here's a paywall strategy that would actually work and actually help democracy as well. And you saw it in the early weeks of the pandemic, because every news organization dropped its paywall for pandemic stories, because they, they knew it was of vital interest to people to know what the closings were, what the count was as far as who was sick, and, and all kinds of stuff. So... News organizations made, uh, they dropped their paywall for COVID-19 stories. And you know what they found out? They found out that their subscriptions increased. They found out that, that, that people valued their information so much that they considered it a public service and they wanted long-term to be subscribers of that organization. I wrote a story about that when I was at Northwestern University about how, um, how COVID-19 actually caused a boost in circulation, even though they made the stories free. So, uh, you know, so, so it can be done. And it, it would, the problem is deciding what stories to make free. And I think, and, uh, you know, and the person who runs Courier Newsroom, Tara McGowan, has written about this, too, that on um, political stories, during the height of a campaign, 
news organizations need to drop the paywall for those stories because it's a great public service. Otherwise, you're talking to like 1% or 2% of the population. If you really want an informed electorate, you need to drop the paywall for those stories. And my feeling is that there's plenty of else, else that's, you know, that these news organizations offer, you know, about, you know, cooking, all kinds of stuff, entertainment, uh, just there are tons of stories that they could put behind the paywall, but put the political stories out there where people can get them. Because we're in a crisis point for democracy, and stories about whether democracy is going to survive really belong outside a paywall. Yeah. Well, I do know that the New York Times has an option for people like me who just can't take their um, news reporting anymore. But you can for, I don't know, what, $4 a month or something, you can digitally get access to the recipes and to the crossword puzzles and, and other other games. But, you know, it seems to me that a lot of mainstream media have kind of eliminated that, at least the, the print media. I mean, you know, I mean, how many newspapers, you know, still review books or have a, a book section? Um, I remember the Tribune used to uh, have a huge book section. I mean, that's something that I would have paid money for. And, you know, you can you can get the um, the New York Times book review section. You can pay for that separately. But I think in the interest of economic economizing a lot of papers dropped the sort of things that now people would probably pay money for. Well, maybe, I mean, I don't know. I think their biggest drivers actually are the, the food, the games, <laughs> right? I, I think that's what, what's, what's driving most of the subscriptions for the, the New York times. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a it's a tough it's a tough thing. But right now, we don't have to reinvent the whole wheel. How about between now and the 2024 election, make your political coverage free? I bet you will get like Mark said, you, this has already happened. You'll get more subscribers anyway. It'll probably balance out. But just Washington Post, New York Times, whoever you are, the Atlantic, make your political coverage free. Well, this has actually become a sales point for for local news media. Is is you know local newspapers? Whether I mean, when I say newspapers, I'm not talking about paper. I'm talking about online as well. But, the, but one of the big sales points for them now is that it's good for the community. It's become this thing that that you want to make the the subscribers feel good about contributing to community information and creating a sense of community, which is what local news organizations do, and you can do that. That's you know. You can do that and still make the most important news uh, free. And, and here's an example. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Maybe the listeners will better understand what I'm talking about. The Atlanta Constitution Journal, at the end, uh, uh, when when the uh, Herschel Walker was running, you know, just this disaster of a candidate. You know, they were and every almost every day people were finding. You know, someone he they driven somebody for an abortion, even though he was said he was you know against abortion, or that he had you know his businesses were all fake, and you know I mean just a disaster of a candidate. The Atlanta newspaper, the biggest paper in Georgia, kept those stories behind the paywall. I mean during the election, and 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 what kind of public service is that? That's like the opposite of public service. 
And and so if they would have like dropped the paywall and, and advertised that way, said we're making all these stories free because they're really important to uh, to the state of Georgia and to our our readers. And but subscribe to so we can keep on producing this high quality content. That's a great sales point. That's something mm-hmm. you can really advertise and, and sell subscriptions on. It's been proven by the the COVID nineteen example. Yeah, it seems like an easy fix, doesn't it? It certainly does, but then we often come to very logical conclusions on how some of these uh, problems can be fixed. And, you know, not that I don't think the three of us are particularly, I think that we're experienced, I think that we're smart. You would think that there would be experienced, smart people at some of these organizations who should be having these same conversations and potentially reaching the same conclusions, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, guys, we need to take a break, and when we come back, I want to talk about um, the apparent shift that Univision, the Spanish, Spanish language news giant, apparently it is going from an anti-Trump to what appears to a lot of people to be a very pro-Trump sort of stance. I want to talk about that when we come right back after a break. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined, excuse me, I'm joined by former Trib and sometimes editor Mark Jacob and former Channel 9 News Director Jennifer Schulze. We are talking about media, and I read something this morning about Univision. They They have a reporter uh, I don't know exactly how he pronounces his first name. I assume it's Jorge Ramos. And in uh, Jorge Ramos got under Donald Trump's skin in a very big way. And so Donald Trump started um, attacking Univision, attacking Mr. Ramos every chance he got because Jorge Ramos uh, has a pretty decent relationship with the truth. Now Univision has new management. And it seems that the person in charge now wants to be very close to Donald Trump to the point where they um, cozied up to the son-in-law-in-chief, Jared Kushner, and, you know, wanted to make sure that, you know, Mexico gives Jared Kushner an award and we love Jared Kushner and he's our uh, gateway to back into Donald Trump's good graces. It is uh, considering the fact that some Democratic consultants are very worried about the Hispanic male vote and the black male vote going into 2024. This would seem to be something that should make a lot of people really nervous. Um, Mark, you want to start with this? Yeah. One thing is that's worth noting is that uh, the ownership of of Univision isn't American. It's you know either mostly or wholly Mexican. So you have this this company that's that is controlling or influencing a lot of uh, American voters' opinions. You know, being uh, run or owned by people outside the country. So you know that's a that's a that's an issue. I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's it should be banned or anything, but I think it's worth noting. Mm-hmm. And and I do think I think we have to worry about um, 
you know, about the fact that, uh, you know, that, that that's part of why, why Trump, I think, is allowing uh, his allies to talk to the media about all these horrible things they're going to be doing is because they, because they think it's kind of creates this macho thing. You know, we're going to get tough. You know, one of Trump's favorite words is tough. And so I think he's trying to appeal to kind of macho elements. And, and clearly you have seen that while uh, Latino and black uh, voters don't go for Trump, um, men are more likely to vote for Trump than women those uh, demographic groups. So there is, yeah, and, you know, and especially in places like Florida, there is, there are right-wing Latinos who uh, Trump uh, attracts too. So, so yeah, this is just to be worried about, uh, you know, whether Democrats are able to, uh, you know, strongly keep a Latino vote, uh, which they've, they've won, you know, in all recent elections. So this is, this is scary, and it, I mean, I think it's, when I say it's scary, I'm not just saying rah, rah, Democrats, I'm saying rah, rah, democracy. Yeah. And because, you know, because, again, I'm not trying to be partisan, I'm trying to be patriotic. It's not really about whether, you know, whether the blue team wins or the red team wins, it's whether a team that actually believes in the Constitution wins. And so, so that's why I'm worried about it. And so, and, and it just, see, to me, it feels like, you know, the, these Trump people are not stupid. They know, they know that that people are influenced by money, and and I, I I just hope there's more reporting being done on whether what what the money is behind this because it sure smells like that like this is some sort of thing where they're catering to Univision in some uh, some way to really benefit Univision rather than Univision isn't isn't doing this to become more fair and objective. They're doing it for some other reason, and I'd like to know what it is. Yeah. Well, three of the owners met with Trump at Mar-a-Lago last weekend, right? And then he did this interview. And the other thing I think that's really disturbing, and this makes me start to feel like it's a Fox News problem, and I shouldn't have said news. Fox Fox Cable. Fox Cable. (laughs) Um, Because um, they did a softball interview with Trump, that they broadcast on Univision, and it was not Jorge Ramos. It was very, it was someone else, and it was very um, gentle. And right. in addition to that, they canceled uh, ads that the Biden campaign had already purchased and planned to run within that interview. Um, and then they, the Biden campaign had their one of their campaigners Staff, their Latino outreach director was scheduled to come on Univision after the Trump interview, and they canceled that too. So all of that is very concerning. And then I see today um, a leading anchor, news anchor, their their primetime news anchor um, resigned today. Um, he has not oh, really? spoken out yet, but we we and I don't know how to pronounce his name, Leon Leon. Kraus, he is the most one of the most prominent anchors at Univision, um, according to Variety, and it says he left the network in the wake of the controversial interview with former President Trump. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see how that develops. The article on Variety also says that uh, other journalists at the cable channel are very concerned about this turn now that this Mexican company has taken over. Uh, Univision. Um, 
But the fact that they're canceling advertising and changing, they say they changed their policy about political mm-hmm. advertising, but after they'd already yeah. done the deal, you know, and then they canceled the Biden policy. person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, worrisome. Exactly. The Washington it's, Post it's, it's, wrote about this, and... Um, they they said this, a Biden campaign official said that while Univision had requested an interview with the president, there had been no offer comparable to Trump's, which involved an hour-long sit-down that was broadcast during the network's highest-rated hour, 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, that and is very let's cool. remember. Let's remember that this is the former president who is planning to put millions of Latino immigrants in camps. This is like, this is no Latino oriented news station would, would be sucking up to Donald Trump right now, mm-hmm. unless there's some, some motive that we're, it's not clear to us right now. Yeah, I mean, because their constituents, if they care about their, the people who are watching their TV news and their well-being, they would not be sucking up to Donald Trump. Well, that's the whole. I remember during Donald Trump's the early years of his presidency when he was just so anti anything to do with brown people. And uh, one of Ray's friends who was from South America and was living in this country was an ardent rabid, radical Trump supporter. And I said to Ray, I said, doesn't he understand that Trump hates people like him? And, and I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand. And it was when you, when you, when, when you talk to somebody like that, at least what limited experience I have, it's like, oh yeah, well, that's everybody but me. That's, you know, he might hate brown people, but not me. Uh, um, I'm a Trump supporter, therefore I'm protected, I'm different. You know, he may hate the bulk of these people, but not me. There's this strange, weird thing that goes on in their head that somehow they're exempt from this, uh, from this wave of hate that is being, um, sent to all others who are just like them. Right. Yeah, that's right. When you get the LGBTQ uh, Republicans, they get the same kind of thing. Is you know, is why are you a uh, Republican? I mean, mm-hmm. do you know that what, what Republicans have in store for you if they get total power? You know, it's it, it, it's it's stunning how people can just assume that well, bad things might be happening, but they're not going to happen to me. It's just it, it's it's a fantasy that that people operate in. And it and and people like Trump and you know whole MAGA crowd knows how to take advantage of that. Plus, plus you also get like for example, I, I, it, it always stuns me when there's a prominent you know black Republican politician because I mean clearly a lot of Republicans uh, you know they they're not in favor of equal rights and they're not in favor of you know they you know they're much more concerned about Confederate statues than black Americans and and so. Why do people like Tim Scott and Byron Donalds, why are they Republicans? And the, and the answer to me is for their own personal benefit, because cause they personally benefit and the Republicans are happy to use them in that way. It's not, I mean, it's not because they think that, that Republican policies are going to be great for African-Americans in general. It's because they think it'll be great for them. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Jen. Oh, I... I just want to beat my head against the wall. (laughs) 
I just, the last thing we need is another um, cable network, you know, going over to the dark side, basically, doing the Fox thing where it's not, I mean, it's changing, it's changing who it is. I, 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 these last few days on Univision, have, they've changed their character as a, had been a very respected news organization done really interesting work with terrific journalists and to make this switch in this way, I think, I think we should look for more of the same and maybe worse uh, ahead. And that's not a good thing for the country. Not a good thing at all. Nope. Well, nope. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a lively 2024 and um, I think that the work we do holding media responsible, holding people's feet to the fire, is going to become more and more important and more and more critical. Uh, Jennifer writes essays that you can find on Heartland Signal. Uh, Mark Jacob has a Substack newsletter that he was telling us about and would like to plug again. Go ahead, Mark, real quickly. It's, uh, it's at Stop the Presses, all one word. Dot news, so it's pretty easy to remember. Stop the presses. Dot news, and you can get it for free, and you can subscribe for free, and and, and read it. Usually, I write weekly. So uh, let's uh, let's gear up. You can you uh, all of my listeners. You can take the holidays off, and then as soon as the holidays are over, we're going to gear up for twenty twenty four, and we're going to hit the ground running. So uh, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Mark. It is always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a break for news. And when we come back, you may have seen on 60 Minutes recently, our very own Terry Savage was there talking about Social Security horror stories. She's going to join us to tell us about that in her new book right after this.